where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love and we're your hosts shelby and matt or in the case of today we're talking about things that no one hates or loves or cares about <laughs> because nothing interesting happened but here we are yeah yeah bringing you news the news <laughs> all the news that's not fit to print <laughs> there really were i was trolling through like the different websites and it was just like the amount of headlines around this Bryce Dallas Howard non-story was so mesmerizing to me because it's like this is barely oh, the, where, that she got no money. Yeah, it's like barely <laughs> anything, but that's all I could find all day. Yeah, it was like Bryce Dallas Howard made less money than Chris Pratt in the Jurassic World movies. Yes. Yeah. Which I yeah. Was like, he, she yeah she says that when they signed the contract she was making less and originally at the time it was reported that she was making two million less than Chris Pratt um and she's like oh actually the number was much worse than that it was much lower and Chris Pratt to his credit so she was like you know you sign up for three movies you can't get out of it at that point you can't renegotiate after the first movie um but Chris Pratt was like anytime there was a chance for a new negotiation like around the um What's it called? Like video uh, games or something? Yeah. The like, um, I wrote down the words and now I can't find them. Ancillary um, material. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ancillary. So like any of those, he would fight to, well, what he's, what she said, he said is, don't worry about this. I've got you. And they just got paid the same. So it's like, okay, great. Like, congratulations, equality. Um, and she said that ended up being more money than even the original contract which is outrageous to think about like how many toys and games and all these like residuals and all this sort of weird stuff but um yeah congrats to her on that movie uh you know i mean i guess like i do i do think it sort of makes sense that she would be making less than him like in the initial contract just because like she was not famous at the time and he was yes yeah yeah, I mean, so that's I, I the mean, argument all the time. And it's true because when you saw like Jennifer Lawrence got paid more than Chris Pratt on their movie type thing. So there is right. like I a mean, natural ebb and flow to someone's star power. Like but... sometimes there is, yeah. Like obviously lots of times there is sexism at play. Um, but also I feel like in those movies or I guess I don't like I don't even know like obviously they're the leads I guess but I don't know if I would say that they're like co-leads I guess I haven't watched the first one in a long time but you know what I mean <laughs> she's definitely she's definitely a lead she's the opening it takes like 20 minutes to get to Chris Pratt I guess but he's she's like the, the one with the rep <laughs> I don't I again have not watched that movie since I was in the theater she's the straight man she's the one who's responsible for the kids she's yes. the one I do calling remember all the that. shots like she's a, she's definitely an equal billing co-star but okay, yeah but, i mean but she is less and it was favorite. also as she says she's like it was 2014 times were different so i think it is a problem that's been worse in the past and they're making strides and making it better and i'm not trying to defend 
pay gaps okay that's not what shelby's doing um shelby loves a just, pay gap famously <laughs> shelby makes a lot more money on this podcast than i do <laughs> yeah. oh but yeah so that's the breaking news of the week um okay wow exciting. thrilling thrilling pretty exciting, pretty exciting actually what i was excited to talk about oh. and i know this technically should be a love it or hate it but i have too many things i've loved lately um Jean- jeanette mccurdy's uh Oh, memoir yes, her memoir. Out. I'm glad my mom died. Um, obviously, a splashy title that has gotten headlines since it was announced. She is a child star from Nickelodeon's iCarly and then got a spinoff show with Ariana Grande. I never watched Nickelodeon. So I, and also they are like, a few years behind when I was watching like Disney Channel even. So it's not really my <laughs> – I didn't know anything about her. I did not know she existed. I watched iCarly. I've seen oh, wow. a, a decent number of amount of iCarly. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I didn't really like know anything. Was, but... I think that show was popular like maybe when my siblings were younger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so I would yeah. see it on like Christmas break yeah. and stuff, I feel like, when I was – Maybe that back in college or something. I mean, and like if you're I, a secret Nickelodeon stan, like that's fine too. No well, judgment. I mean, I do I did like Nickelodeon growing up, but I feel like that was that wasn't on when I was Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was watching like Hey Arnold and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. the Rugrats. Yeah. Well, I read this book. Um, because I love a I love a good memoir. I'm picky about my memoirs, so it's not like I'm reading like, you know most celebrity memoirs they have to be someone who went through something you know like (laughs) um the last one i read was jessica simpson which was also surprisingly good oh that was a very good memoir this one was actually like stunningly good like it felt more important than just her like it felt like almost like a time capsule of that early 2000 like 2000s 2010 like mid like the tween era, right? Where you had all these child stars that became huge, that did TV shows, did music, did everything possible to be famous and glittery and popular. And I think it does a good job of like capturing all of that toxicity. But on top of it, um, Janet's like personal life and the abuse of her mother was really, I mean, so sad. But the way she wrote it, it felt like, did you ever read Educated by Tara Westover? No, but I remember the, like, that being Mormon. a big book as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it felt kind of like that where it was like she was – she's very f- – this Jeanette, – Jeanette is very funny, but she's also like telling it as it happens. So she's not processing that it's abuse even as she's describing it. And so there's not like a lot of commentary around it so much as you being put in the shoes of this little 11-year-old who's suddenly being taught how to like – you know, uh, not starve herself to lose weight and stuff like that. And so all of it was like really good, really well done. She's very like, she's a very strong writer. It's very compelling. And so I felt like that was so interesting and really well done. And it's, you know, been number one on bestsellers on Amazon. It's sold out at bookstores. Like they had to put in a new order for like the publisher had to put in a new order of books and um, that rarely happens. And so it's all great for her, but there are so many <laughs> like mostly comments, like not necessarily reviewers or like experts chiming in, but so many people are like, ew, she needs to forgive her mom. Like what if her mom was still alive? What if her mom could read this? Like what a, a salty title, like forgiveness looks is the best medicine. And like, you know, you have to be better than you have to have grace and all this stuff. And it's like, 
and everyone trying to like de kind of shrug off what she went through is like you were still rich you were still privileged like that's not that's hardly abuse like you know you weren't being kept in a box or <laughs> shipped off to Guantanamo Bay or whatever extreme people try to portray as like worthy of a memoir and I just find that so fascinating because we're so like determined to weigh and measure people's trauma and decide who's worthy of our of our empathy and care and just like the way we take stock even looking at like Britney Spears and how everyone was like free Britney free Britney but then once she was posting nipples it's like ew no or once she was like actually I don't like how <laughs> gay fed uh treats her kids and suddenly he's posting videos of her shouting like it's all like we're constantly like trying to tell people oh wait you're not you're not allowed to feel bad about that because of XYZ. And so I think that's an interesting thing that's been happening is her having to combat this like question of, well, do you feel bad about the title? And she's like, no, anyone who's been through parental abuse can appreciate that title. And if she wasn't dead, I wouldn't be here healed enough to talk about it. Like I would still be under her thumb. So I like her survivor, survivor mentality and kind of how she's approached this marketing campaign like it doesn't feel gimmicky you can feel the the real honest truth behind the sentiment and and kind of I feel like it should inspire more care for her than this sort of judgment I mean it is a phenomenal book title like when yeah. I saw the title <laughs> and the cover I was like oh this is like and I mean you and I worked in publishing for yeah. a long time like I was like this is gold because mm -hmm. this is like a a star who like doesn't like obviously people know who she is to a certain degree but like she hasn't done anything in a while she was not like an a-lister even at her peak um yeah. so you could see how like a memoir from her could easily like sort of come and go so the fact that it's became such a you know pop culture moment i think does really speak to the, the marketing team or i don't know if it was her who came up with that or her editor or whoever yeah. like put this packaging together because it is really great and obviously they were trying to stir up some oh, yeah, drama with it um <laughs> and you know like of course the republican people would just you know crawl out of the woodworks of these yeah. things it's so easy to get them you know you only get one mom sometimes. and it's like yes. well, yeah that's what's sad <laughs> yeah i mean it's like yeah you can i mean a mom is like any other position in life there are good ones and there are bad ones and yeah you can and I think it's also, you know, it's like you can say, like, I'm sure there are some reasons why that she's glad her mom died and some reasons why she's not glad her mom died. But, um, you know, like, I'm sure that she wishes that she could have had a better relationship with her mom, but that yeah. obviously wasn't happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also feel like, as with most books and these kind of things, probably half of the people, if not more, who have issues with it never actually read the book. They just read the title. <laughs> yeah. It's like, not to make this all about myself, but, you know, <laughs> I um, like published a, I mean, I this happens all the oh, time yes, with, then, with my stuff on BuzzFeed, yeah. but like I wrote this ranking of the uh, pop star documentaries. The second biggest story of the week, yeah. Yes, the, yes. I mean, probably the biggest news story on this week, which was very yeah. slow moving. <laughs> um, and... 
you know, people in the comments are all the time being like, I can't believe you didn't like include this or do this. And it's like, well, I literally write about that very thing in the article and tell you why I didn't do it. Like if you read the article, you would know like this piece. I said, okay, I'm really only including pop stars who were like major after the year 2000. And they're like, well, how come you didn't include Madonna? It's like, (laughs) well, I said in the start, like I'm not including Madonna because most of her like success was before the year 2000. So that's why she's not here. (laughs) If you read the opener, <laughs> like literally the sixth sentence, you would know, but yeah. you didn't. And I feel like it's the same with Jeanette, where they're like, they take a title and they extrapolate a bunch of things from it without even yeah. reading the novel. I'm well, and because a lot it, of the a lot of the promo around it were like the more salacious bits of gossip, like, oh, oh she sure. hates Ariana Grande, even though that was literally like a two-page chapter in the whole book that was more about her frustration with the network than Ariana herself. And so, yeah, it's like easy to see how the machinations of publicity and also how our media covers things and the clickbaitiness just breeds this sort of conversation, which does probably benefit her and her bottom line in the end. But it is like, man, just we need a little bit more critical reading skills like developed here. (laughs) Yeah. Although, you know, good for her that she got this memoir because, I mean, she doesn't want to do acting or anymore, or at least I think that's what the general story of her is and so this is a good way to rake in a bunch of money <laughs> yeah, hopefully yeah it, it was interesting I'll, I'll be curious if your book club decides to cover it uh i think we will i mean so here's the thing currently this year we are we have themed categories oh, that's right. yeah. and so next month we're supposed to be doing a book that's being turned into a movie which we have some limited options on that regard this year um like they have to be coming out this year or just start uh, like they, yes like like uh, ideally it would be something that's coming out in the next couple of months so that we mm, could go see the movie together I but see. the only ones that i have been able to find that feel like real tantalizing options in that is she said the yeah um, it's a great book yeah and then women talking which is sort of another kind of cult uh type uh, yeah, like the Mennonite women. Yes, survivors. yes, yes. It's like, I, but um, but a novel, I think, based on true story, but a novel. Um, and so those are the two. But I don't know if those will be sort of difficult sells. Unclear. <laughs> yeah, crowd pleasers. Um, yeah, not not necessarily like happy cozy <laughs> stories. Although this is also not one. So, yeah, no. but um, she is a funny writer, and she has a lot of wry wit and in her reflection. So. Speaking it's not, of like, painful. book news, though, the um, antitrust case between Simon and & Schuster and Penguin Random House is going on, which I'm sure everybody was oh, wow. yeah. riveted to know about. But I was reading the articles about it, and I felt like this might be a semi-interesting thing to bring up on okay. a non-interesting week. <laughs> have you been Honestly, following this at all? No, sir, I have not. <laughs> so basically what is happening is... Penguin Random House, which is the biggest publisher in the United States. There used to be six major publishers. Then Penguin and Random House joined and became, and so then it shrunk to the big five. Well, now that Penguin Random House is trying to buy out Simon & Schuster, which Mm. would then mean that three of the former big six were all under one corporation. And then there's only three um, publishing, like major publishing houses sort of against them. And when this was announced, a lot of people, authors, agents, the other publishing houses were very upset about this because that means that authors, you know, sort of have less options to go. And supposedly you can 
um, when you know you're selling a book, there can be an auction between different imprints within the new Penguin Random House Simon and Schuster uh, conglomerate. But I was reading an article that was saying that that's they describe it as like a a husband and wife bidding against each other for a house it's like okay um yeah like how's this gonna work yeah so the biden administration um decided to take simon and schuster slash penguin random house to court um and uh, like the Department of Justice and say, hey, you actually can't do this merger. Good and so them. and so now they are in. So now the hearings are taking place where both Penguin Random House, Simon Schuster, and also the Department of Justice are bringing forward all of these people within the publishing industry, authors, editors, agents to testify before this judge as to what um, will happen regarding this. And so like, the government brought in Stephen King. It's brought in other authors, um, p- different publishers than the than Simon and Schuster has brought in. It's like own people, and it's interesting, like um, them sort of going back and forth and discussing like the positives yeah. versus negatives of them merging. I feel like it's obvious to me, as someone who worked in publishing, that this is a bad idea that this merger happened and that it shouldn't go forward. Yeah, but um, well, it just seems so like the only the only reason it would happen is because of greed like it's someone wanting a big payday and i just i get confused about like i thought i thought we had laws against monopolies i thought that was something i learned in high school well that's what this is (laughs) so i'm glad that's the law that they're bringing up up. is like this antitrust law yeah perfect um but, you know, who knows what kind of uh, machinations and stuff are going on behind the scenes of, yeah. you know, politics and capitalism and whatnot. But that's happening now. Supposedly, they will reach a verdict in November. The other wow. thing, but one of the things that's interesting is I think most people don't really know very much about the publishing industry. So I was reading this article on Vulture that was saying, like, look at all of this crazy stuff that's come out about the publishing industry in these trials because these judges are and you know lawyers are asking these publishing people like very frank questions about like money and who gets paid what <laughs> these different terms and yeah. they're like no one's ma- like authors aren't really making very much money most <laughs> books like don't make any money even the top tier authors really aren't making that much when you compare them to people in other fields like yeah. it's hard to uh, break into the industry. It's very arcane. Everyone's like, what is going on here? Like, how is this industry up and running? And like, it's so backwards. An and I was yeah. reading it like, obviously. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> thank like, where you, have you been? For, for realizing this. The publishing industry is a disaster. Yeah. That's part of the reason why you and I don't work there anymore. Yeah. It seems like also just like more and more stories like this. I'm like like Amazon constantly buying up companies. It's like I think the problem, <laughs> the singular problem with our country's culture and probably the world is just this obsession with like growth. It's like why can't something just be good at what it is good at? Why does it constantly every year have to be like, oh, we've got to grow, we got to grow, we got to grow? And it's like why – is the end goal to be bought by someone bigger who can then use your, you know, whatever to to further their coffer. It's just like exhausting to me, like reading Instagram's CEO statement about like, oh, we're going to pivot to video because that's growth, growth, growth. And it's like, you could have just been a picture app. And it's like, 
you know, these people should be happy being one of six, five publishing houses at this point. Like what, what does it cost you to just stick around and do this one job you created for yourself? Well, the other thing is like, I think we're seeing this now sort of with Facebook to a certain extent of like, if you don't focus on the thing that you do well, well, and you're keep aiming to grow, sometimes you end up losing the thing that started you yeah. And then you kind of end up with nothing. But I was also, I was talking with some a friend this weekend uh, about like the venture capitalism like movement and mm-hmm. all of these tech corporations. Because I, I feel like I don't understand it all fully because <laughs> business. But yeah. they were saying like basically these venture capitalist funds just pour money into these businesses to try to grow the businesses as much as possible in hopes that at some point they'll be profitable, even though the business model is not one that actually makes money. The only reason why it's making money is sort of like a Ponzi scheme kind of thing where it's like, it's growing so fast that it's getting more subscribers that it's making money. But once it plateaus, it will stop making money. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, how is that smart? (laughs) It's all a scam, man. Yeah. It's just a quick... (laughs) <laughs> quick fix to someone's money. No hunger. wonder there's a recession on its yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, for certain people, uh, but those uh, venture capitalists are probably fine. Um, actually, one funny thing that I saw today is that the CW announced that even though they're the teen shows, even though it's Riverdale and Supernatural and Arrow and All American, mm-hmm. the average CW viewer is 58 years old. Like I don't I don't think that's surprising. <laughs> yeah, but what's interesting is they announce this and they're like, well, actually, our viewers 58, so we're gonna start catering to that age group. And it's like, well, isn't what you're doing already catering to that age group? Like that's why they're your subscribers. Yeah. Like it's not like the, you used to be Discovery and then decided to go to teen and oh well, these 58-year-olds stuck around. Like, no, they they found you. <laughs> <laughs> They're sticking around for those KJ Appa also, abs. I don't think that that's actually like the reason. I think the reason why their subscriber rate is so old is because the CW is like a network television channel. Yeah. <laughs> that you get on network TV and most people who are under the age of 30 don't have that. Like most of the people who have network TV are older. I bet the like sub, sub, the average subscriber age of every network on like cable or television is probably at least in the 50s. Well, but they have to like figure that out somehow, right? Because The Bachelor is like, you know, 18 to 28 or whatever that age range is. Like they have to I take into the, account. Like, I feel like Netflix most people who watch, right I feel like a lot of older people watch The Bachelor. But I'm saying that their main group cited statistically is the younger oh. adult crowd. I mean, I guess I, I don't know how you would factor in like streaming and other kind yeah. of platforms as well. Um, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what CW thinks the the 60-year-olds want to see that <laughs> is different than what they're doing currently. In another weird streaming wars piece of news, um, Paramount Plus, which I think till this point has sort of been uh, like a little bit on the back burner as far as these yes. subscribers go, has paired up with a uh, service called Walmart Plus, which I did not realize was a thing. Um, I think this is sort of like a Amazon Prime kind of, but through Walmart where okay. like you shop and get better deals and stuff. But 
for people who have that, they will now be getting a subscription of Paramount Plus as well. So this is like <laughs> a, a a deal yeah. to presumably try to get more people involved with Paramount Plus by pairing them up with Walmart. And I was sort of thinking about, I mean, to go back to what we were talking to earlier about like picking one thing and sticking with it, of Walmart is a company that makes lots and lots of money. I mean, it's one of the like biggest american corporations and yet they have not really tried to expand very much as far as i know beyond their like stores which i think is sort of interesting in the tech world given all of the other things that like amazon is you know like we're a pharmacy now we're a you know a a dry cleaner we are a car wash you know yeah they're absorbing they're sticking in their lane but they're absorbing everything in it so yeah i guess that's true (laughs) <laughs> who knew Walmart was a little guy? But anyways, they're teaming up with Paramount Plus. So if you are one of our listeners who happens to have Walmart Plus for whatever reason, you can now get Paramount Plus. Yeah. And watch what Matt loves because uh, he watches a lot of Paramount Plus, right? I mean, I watch Survivor and Drag Race and I think that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Are you watching Peacock, a lot of Paramount Plus? Absolutely not. No. I don't know a single show that's on there except, I guess, Survivor now. Peacock is not bad. Peacock, I watched the free episode of The Resort, and I was like, oh, this is good. But then I didn't feel like downloading the subscription, so I don't know how it ends. If you watch – like, I feel like Peacock has a decent amount of content now in sort of like the comedy space. Yeah. I don't think enough probably to warrant having it forever but if there's like a free trial or like you could get it for a month and then cancel it sort of thing um i think that there's enough stuff on there that you know you could watch yeah like five or six good i'm mostly just lazy but yeah it's only like four bucks a month i think so it's really like a low low risk situation i might get around to it but i've you know been uh unmotivated so far okay but Um, but we can talk about our love it or hate it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So speaking of streaming, um, Hulu, Hulu, Hulu released Prey, which is the Predator spinoff that takes place in the 1700s, North America in a Comanche tribe. Yes. And so if you don't, if you're not familiar with Predator, the original one was with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like it's basically an invisible super killing alien species hides out and is and is destroying this uh jungle and eventually starts hunting these uh soldiers and you know it's just like an impossible fight because he's so much more advanced than us type thing and that's it like they've the made a few line, get us a chopper <laughs> yeah I saw that like a couple years ago and I was like, wow, this is not good. Like, obviously, I can see why it was good at the time, but it doesn't stand up, you know? Oh, so you went back and watched it? Because I thought you hadn't seen any of them. No, I seen the first one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so... But Predator is a series that I am confused by sort of because it's like... Yeah. There was the original one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and then there's a bunch of sequels, but I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger's in the sequels. No, no, no. And then some of them I think are set in like outer space. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. then there's Alien versus Predator. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then this one they're like, oh, this is set in like the like pilgrim days or whatever. I'm like, what? 
I think honestly, more genres should do this. It works because the predator is like this alien that was clearly dropped off at our planet for whatever reason and wreaks havoc wherever he goes. Um, so it's not necessarily like, you know, Halloween where it's the same alien who never dies. It's just this species that stumbles onto our earth every now and then. So the point is that you don't have to have seen any predator or you, there's no connection to prey except that there's this predator alien character. Um, but the movie itself is from Dan um, Trachenberg, who famously did something similar where he took a one-off story and turned it into a really good genre film like he did with Tin Cloverfield Lane, which is tangentially a sequel to Cloverfield and you're not really sure how, and then suddenly this thing all comes together, blah, 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 great movie. But this is like really compelling. One, obviously, because there's this Comanche, this uh, indigenous girl who becomes the hero. And it was really surprisingly well done. Like, I think I could have done without the English, like, <laughs> they have a dubbed version in the... Um, native language that you can watch. We just listened to it as it was, which is they sometimes speak in um, their language, but most of the time it's just in English with their normal accent. So it's very like discombobulating because the brother has sort of this California vibe and the girl sounds a little different than her brother. So it's like a little bit distracting at times. But ultimately, I think it was like a fun clever movie that added depth to a story that's so easily mocked and like a franchise that's not really seen as anything <laughs> meaty or valuable. <laughs> and I felt like there were enough pieces to it that made it interesting. And the the compelling part is this sort of like of course, we've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger have to try and take it on with his guns and, and stuff, but watching it in a time where there was absolutely no chance and seeing how you'd have to work to outsmart it and not just outgun it was very interesting. Obviously, a lot of people got mad about it. Like all these film bros are like, oh, sure, uh, the military team didn't stand a chance, but this dumb girl <laughs> just suddenly takes it down. It's like one, first of all, First of all, that's the that's the that's the premise of every Predator film is the impossibility of the task and what it takes to get it done. Like you're not going to watch, you're not supposed to root for the Predator. Like it's just so weird how our brains melt when there's a woman in charge and it's like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> because honestly, I like how know. she- I don't know. I agree. How, what, I mean, what's she going to do? <laughs> Kill him with like a cookie pan or something? Yeah. If <laughs> she it's a pulls woman? out the apron and she's like hunting and gathering. Kill him with a high know? heel? Yeah. It's a real struggle. I They made her interesting, complicated. The themes of it were also interesting because not only was it like, oh, let's see what happens when you don't have any gun power. It was more like, oh, look at how um, this civilization was, like it mirrored history in actuality, like these uh, native, uh, these indigenous communities in the Americas were uh, attacked by people who were maybe more advanced, had more skills in the weaponry of the modern age than they did, and how did they like survive and stuff. So it was nice that there was this retribution angle. And actively in the story, there was commentary on the 
I guess, imperialism of the time where you do run into kind of a Dutch unit of white men. And and I liked that they they respected the history and didn't just make a splashy like sequel to this kind of campy horror film. Um, it's definitely bloody, definitely gory, uh, definitely creepy. So I think it's like a really good and beautiful film. And I'm frankly surprised they didn't bother with the theatrical release at all. Like this was just a Hulu original movie put right on streaming. And it and it seems like really well done. And there's some really stunning shots. And even the music itself was like really beautiful. So it's kind of sad that that's just what it is. But it has gotten great reviews. So I think word of mouth has let a lot of people watch it still. Interesting. I have it on my list of things to watch. Um, And it obviously has a huge cast of native actors. Um, Amber Midthunder plays uh, Nadu, who's the, you know, Comanche warrior woman leader who shouldn't be able to beat an alien. I Um, mean, look, let's see. We've (laughs) all seen the, the ninth Star Wars movies where the Ewoks managed to kill all the clones. So, you know, <laughs> I have seen people with sticks beating machines before. And yeah. Well, I'm what's sure beautiful, we'll see it again. what was like strangely moving about this was that her success wasn't like, oh, I'm the biggest baddest in the room. It was more like there's a repeated mantra through the movie that's like, you're not a killer, you're surviving type thing. Like, you don't hunt to kill, you hunt to survive. Like there's obviously throughout um, most native communities, there is this like connection to the hunt itself and the the animals and the there's sort of ceremony to this uh, circle of life. And so I think having that wisdom was ultimately a gift for her compared to the Dutch bros. And on top of it, they also had a dog featured and nope. the dog was no. a rescue. No, don't care. <laughs> and it was so cute. And they Gross. said that he was horrible on set. Like he couldn't yeah, be trained. Yeah, I can imagine because it was a dog. He couldn't be trained, but he still like stole the, the show. Did the dog die in the movie? No. I can only hope that the predator no. got him. <laughs> Not at all. So honestly, great movie. Loved it. Uh, good time all around. Okay, I have a very good movie that I had not, I knew that it, of it, its existence, but a friend asked me to go to like the Alamo Draft House screening of it. Um, it's the 1982 musical classic, The Best <laughs> Little Whorehouse in Texas. Have you seen this movie? No. It stars Dolly Parton, and it is like one of the most delightful, campy, fun musicals I have ever seen i like enjoyed every single second of it i think there's one joke in it that doesn't quite hold up but otherwise that's like a little bit like but otherwise the whole movie is so good the premise of it is that dolly parton is like the um like owner of this whorehouse outside of this little town in texas and that burt lancaster is the sheriff in the town and that everybody in the town is sort of like yeah we like the whorehouse like it's it's great. Everybody's nice there. Like everything, like the business is run. Everything is clean. It's great. Like sex work, we're into it. And that then this like conservative sort of muckraking journalist from Houston um, <laughs> comes out and is like trying to uh, like whip up some salacious stories for his television show. And so is determined to take down the whorehouse that Dolly Parton is running. And 
it's just so funny. And it's weird how like sort of PG it is, <laughs> despite the fact that it is set in a whorehouse. Yeah. And there's also like there's some nudity, but it's not like super, super sexual. Yeah. Um it's not euphoria. Well, except for it kind of is because there's also a dance number. Uh, one, like one of the premises is that the winner, the winning team of like this football game gets to like go to the whorehouse once a year. And so this team like wins and they're celebrating their win and they're excited to go to the to to visit Dolly and everybody else. And they perform like this very like homoerotic uh, musical number in the locker room of the football stadium. That was very similar to something I feel like that you would have seen in euphoria. Um, <laughs> it's just like a ridiculous movie. They also do a lot of filming actually in the Capitol building of Texas in Austin, mm. which is fun. Um, the song, the I will always love you. The Dolly Parton version is from this movie and then it was used in the bodyguard and that's when Whitney Houston um, became yeah. famous for it. So she sings that in this. It's like a cute little romance between her and the sheriff who have like long been sort of together, but it's sort of been like a little bit of a secret and the music is really fun. I just had a blast watching it. Wait, and is it a musical? Yes, it's a musical. So it's based originally, I think on a, Broadway musical and then they turned it into this movie um but those old era musicals yeah it's it 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 has sort of like a Grease kind of feel to it I guess because it probably came out around that same time period where it's like but it feels very modern I think in its view of like sex work and um like even feminism in a lot of ways and like how the the media and you know sort of small town life and small businesses um the 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 cast is not like super super diverse but is like more diverse than you uh, you would think that it would have been in the you know 80s right. making a movie set in Texas um yeah i would highly recommend it was a absolute delight. And of course, Dolly Parton is incredible. Yeah. And nine to five is masterful. And she's so good in that. And I hadn't really seen her in anything else. And I think this is her other really big um, role. And she's so fun in it. I'm like, put Dolly Parton in more movies, everybody. Miss Congeniality too. Was she in Miss Congeniality too? Yeah. For what a split she... second, she had a cameo. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, what role was she You know in what that? her best movie is, though, is Steel Magnolias. Ugh. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Love Maybe that. that's next on my list. A wonderful film starring a Shelby. So. Mm. Well, you should watch a best little horror in Texas as someone who lives in Texas. <laughs> yeah. A little gem of history. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it on my radar. I'll see if it's streaming anywhere. Maybe, maybe Paramount Plus has it. Um. But I did finally get to watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So uh, that's happening. That's that's finally happening. It, it's it's a real thing. Finally. So we'll yeah. talk about that on the Thursday episode. Um, wow. The fact that we managed to fill 40 minutes of this episode <laughs> with news. I will say I think probably at least 25 of those minutes were you talking about Prey. But otherwise. I know. Um, but I wanted to do a whole episode yeah. about it. And you wouldn't let us. You wanted to do an episode about Prey before you had seen Prey. I know, because I have good taste, and I knew it would be good. So, 
what, what but we did bullet train which i really liked so yeah i know i know uh, history will remember but <laughs> mm, i don't know i mean will history remember either of these movies unclear <laughs> but i think history will remember bodies 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 and we'll be talking about that on thursday bye